Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Groom Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I have returned from the Senior Bowl to get back in the swing of things here in the DMV. Uh, we'll, of course, talk a lot about what went down at the Senior Bowl on this episode. Not, I mean, somewhat, of course, about the players and what it means for Washington, but a lot of behind-the-scene details. What's the purpose of the Senior Bowl? Where things are changing? Things that, are, that could impact not just the Senior Bowl, but the pre-draft set up overall going forward to do that my colleague Nikki Javala with the Washington Post who was down there in Mobile with me so we'll get to all that in a moment if you have not already make sure you're subscribing though to this episode well let me rephrase that subscribe to this podcast obviously download the episode but subscribe and then you'll get all the uh, episodes coming to your um, podcast or whatever you guys and gals are using out there. Also, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, stories up, draft-related and team-building-related, uh, offensive coordinator search, uh, all these, you know, what's the quarterback deal going to be, all that discussed here on this episode, and, of course, written about in The Athletic on Monday of, like, a, a notebook, kind of getting everybody kind of up to speed on what I've, you know, where things stand on the OC search, uh, players that stood out to me and uh, scouts around the league down at the uh, combine and so on. So make sure to subscribe and check all of that out. Um, I did want to make a mention here about the passing of former Washington general manager, Bobby Bethard to pl- happened last week. Um, condolences to his family. Um, I wanted to talk about for those who were maybe, you know, a bit young to have, uh, been around for the Bethard era and what it meant and and also to a degree what it what it could mean now for where the Washington Commanders are at. For, first of all, Bethard, it was Bethard, it was Joe Gibbs as head coach and Jack Ken Cook as the owner who were the triumvirate for the era that led to three Super Bowl championships and four Super Bowl appearances. As we know, Washington won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, which is an unbelievable anomaly in this era. And, and needless to say, Joe Gibbs gets tons of credit for that success that happened there. But, you know, Bobby Bethard was the architect in so many ways, and he had a mad scientist approach to him. When we talk about these different quarterbacks, right? Well, think of it like this. It's not just that era. It's not just Joe Theismann who was here, uh, initially before Gibbs arrived, not just Doug Williams, who had had some success in Tampa then was kind of thrown on the scrap heap and, and brought back here, uh, or not brought back here, but brought to Washington. He and Gibbs had worked together before. or And and not even just Mark Rippon, who was a six-round pick who went on to become Super Bowl MVP, which in and of itself is incredibly rare, as we as we know. But, he, but Bether also drafted Jay Schrader in the third round when Jay Schrader at that point was a failed minor league baseball player and who had played quarterback for UCLA. But I don't, I don't know what the Mel Kuypers of the world were saying. Then a third round pick seemed aggressive 
for what Jay Schrader's circumstances were. And yet he had a big arm and eventually played quarterback for a command or for a commanders for a Redskins team that reached the NFC championship game, losing to the Giants. Uh, not only did Rippon get picked in the sixth round and win a Super Bowl, Stan Humphreys was picked in the sixth round a couple years later. And when Beathard went to the Chargers, Humphreys was the quarterback that, that won uh, an AFC championship for that team. This they, they found Joe Jacoby, who was an undrafted defensive lineman, turned him into one of the best tackles ever in league history. Beathard drafted a linebacker in Monty Coleman in the 11th round out of Central Arkansas. And he Coleman went on to play 15 years, retire as the player with the most games played in franchise history. And then, of course, you have the first-round picks when Beathard famously would trade away first-rounders all the time. In his years, he only drafted three players in the first round. Two of them went to the Hall of Fame, Art Monk, and then, of course, Daryl Green. Daryl Green, hardly a conventional pick in that he was playing for uh, a, D- a Division II uh, program in Texas that, you know, certainly not a main, you know, on the main uh, path there. But this is what Bobby Beathard did. He searched high and he searched low, and he didn't just stay to conventional norms. And it played a huge role in not just, obviously, Washington having success. He helped the Chargers uh, get to a Super Bowl, and he was part of the Dolphins uh, team that uh, went on to have an undefeated season, etc. So Beathard did a, did a lot of interesting things, and he just did it. If I say he did it to the beat of his own drummer, I just I don't mean that he was just wacky for the sake of wacky, but he did what he thought he needed to do and didn't worry so much about perception. Of course, this is not the social media era or things along those lines, but nonetheless, they still keep track of, of what you do in the standings. And I say all this to mention in the context of the current team is that too often, whether you're talking about the commanders or really any any sports team, when the team when teams go outside the norm, they go out, you know, they, they color outside the lines of what per, of what is perceived to be something that somebody should do, they get criticized. Doesn't even matter necessarily who the individual was that they picked or what the end result was of the move in the moment. You don't know end result of anything until a player's career is retired or way down the road. But I think it's important because you look at a lot of the situations lately for Washington and conventional thinking does not automatically work, right? Washington, everybody says, don't never, ever, ever draft a guard in the first round, let alone top 10 pick. And there's value to that. That's not a, that's not a position where you want to invest that type of um, assets into. And yet Brandon Scherf, it's hard to argue that wasn't a good pick for Washington, when they took him fifth overall, yes, they were taking him to be a tackle, and they figured that was wrong days, you know, days into the, the offseason program. But Brandon Scherf went on to be one of the better linemen in, in franchise history, a, a, a multi-time Pro Bowler, an all uh, an all Pro, you know, first one they had here, uh, you know, in in over a decade. All these things, well, well over a decade. All these things. Uh, are are good and and sure to this day people will say well they shouldn't have drafted Brandon Scherf and maybe to an extent that's fair but the point is drafting any player in the first round who becomes a Pro Bowler or a viable starter for years 
that's a good thing. And they did that. Okay. There's a similar debate going on right now with defensive tackle. Everybody says conventionally, don't sign two defensive tackles to huge money. Washington, of course, already paid John Allen. Now the question is, what will they do with Deron Payne, who is a free agent this year? We've talked a lot about that. Um, Deron, don't expect Deron Payne to take a home down discount. And Washington already was making moves clearly with the idea of replacing him when they draft Fedarian Mathis in the second round last year. But now Payne goes on to have a tremendous year, makes the Pro Bowl. What do you do? If you follow conventional thinking, he's out the door. But if you look at it and say, well, we have a guy with John Allen who forms, you know, one of, if not the best defensive tackle tandem in the league. And that's where this team can really make, uh, you know, make some hay. Maybe that's something to consider. But if you just go off of conventional thinking, you won't get there. Same thing with like the tight end position. I went through this the other day and, and Nikki and I talked about this a little bit. Of course, nobody's going to say draft a tight end in the first round. And yeah, I would agree that Washington doesn't really need more playmakers. They need more other things, offensive line, cornerback, what have you. But if they determine that a tight end is the best situ- best thing to have there um, when they're picking at 16 or maybe in round two, and they see this player as somebody who can help them in, as a two-way threat, run, uh, receiver, blocker, etc., don't boo the pick if they make it. Obviously, hopefully the player win, uh, wins out and, and has, does a good job. But I always look at what's the logic of something. Can I understand why a, a move was made? If you can do that, almost regardless of what happens from there, I could probably say, you know what? Not everything works, but I understood why they did it. And that's what makes looking back at the Bobby Beathard era so interesting. We were a much less sophisticated audience back then. And it was like, what is happening here? Why is he, you know, trade? There was no Jimmy Johnson trade chart that everybody kind of uses now. It just falls into a pattern with that. Beathard was out there. Uh, you know, I'm sure people would have criticized, you know, the, choosing Daryl Green. Even like the Art Monk pick, I don't think was like automatically viewed as a great one. But, Mar- you know, it, it, where they picked him in sort of the middle of the first round, Monk was like a running back more in college than anything else, or as much as, as he was a receiver. They made him a receiver, and obviously he turned into the backbone uh, from a playmaker perspective of those of those teams. And I, that's all I'm saying is this. Maybe everybody, you know, get a little Bobby Beathard in your brain right now as you're going into another offseason. Washington has a lot going on off the field with ownership. And, you know, I, I think that Ron Rivera's group, they've done okay in some areas, but they've been kind of a bit all over the place when it comes to um, what's the logic with what they're doing. The Carson Wentz is a good example. Understood sort of the principle for what they were trying to do, but ultimately I didn't understand the the target or the execution didn't seem to make a ton of sense. So they could use, I think, some Bobby Beathard in them, shake it up, figure out ways to get creative here. And I would just say keep that in mind as well as you're evaluating what Washington is doing or should do. Just think about Bobby Beathard and how you can go outside the box to, to find good stuff. Sometimes you'll break some eggs. Sometimes you'll make a great omelet, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. But rest in peace to Bobby Beathard uh, and to his former colleagues and friends and family alike for sure. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. 
With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. All right, uh, let's get to it here. Nikki and I spoke at length about a bunch of topics. As I said, we start off with the Senior Bowl, sort of a a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to cover that type of event, how things are different, what that could mean for future NFL uh, off-seasons. And then, of course, we get into the nitty-gritty of it all. In fact, let me just give you guys, you know, you'll hear it when you go forward, but here are some of the, the topics that we got into, and I want I want to tell mention these up front so you can contemplate them in advance a little bit, um, in no particular order. What is more likely, Duran Payne or Cam Curl signing an extension this offseason? What's more likely, Washington drafts a tight end in the first round or Logan Thomas returns? Uh, what's more likely in the Super Bowl this week? Or, sorry, what's more likely, Taylor Heineke gets mentioned during the Super Bowl as the lone starting quarterback to beat a Jalen Hurts team this year, or he returns to Washington in 2023. We'll get to those types of questions and a bunch more about the offensive line, players to, to keep an eye on the Senior Bowl, all that stuff. So here we go. Myself, Nikki Javala from the Washington Post, here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right, as promised, joining us here on the podcast. He's back from the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, another triumphant visit for her to, to Mobile, Alabama. Nikki Javala with the Washington Post. Was that the first time? I don't think you've been to Mobile the two times I was there. When, the, when was the last time you were there before this year? Um, it was Josh Allen's year. So, so 18. Yeah, it's been a minute. Okay. So, what, um, what, what did you, what did you think? Has, has, has Mobile changed a lot in the five years since you were uh, there last? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, well, when I went there, they were still having games and practices at Lad People Stadium, and now it's at um, South Alabama Alabama. campus. Yeah. Yeah. So that part is different, but also just the general feel of it. It's become more formal, for better or worse. You know, when I went, and as was the case for years prior, it was kind of an open thing. You know, it was reporters, it was players, it was agents, executives, coaches, scouts, and you could pretty much mingle amongst yourselves and, you know, there would be a, a scene in the evenings of, you know, going out to bars. I hate to say plural because it was really one at the time. And beats. <laughs> um, but it was, it was pretty open. And that was, that was a lot of the draw of the senior bowl is, you know, you could get to know a lot of the prospects that were going to be in the upcoming draft, but you could also spend time with other people that, you know, were important to your reporting and relationships and, and, and kind of building those up throughout the week was an important part. Um, and that's, that's really limited now. Um, I think it like with anything in the NFL, it's gotten too big for its own good. Um, well, and so, so yeah, just to sort of set, set that up. So obviously if I, if we tell people, Hey, we went to the senior bowl, the assumption is, Oh, okay, cool. You went to watch the players on the field trying to figure out which offensive tackle or cornerback or whatever Washington might draft. And there are definitely people who are doing that. Obviously our guy, Dane Brugler, this is what he's doing. Uh, Nick Baumgartner, another one of our draft guys, he and I spoke 
the other day on the podcast. You can go if you want to hear all about the prospects, go listen to that one. But a lot of us are going to these things not really to break down the players. It's to it's a networking event essentially. It's no different than going to a convention hall and everybody's got a booth, except in this case, the the the, the topic here is football, and everybody from the league is there, hype in theory, and you're trying to catch up with them, whether you're reporters or even if it's like coaches trying to figure out what other jobs are available. So that's really the baseline of the of of what we're talking about here. Um, and before it was, but definitely much more like a sleepy town situation. Like it was really kind of wait. You're younger than me. If I say Ali Ali Oxen free, does that mean anything? I mean, I remember it. God, but okay. I did I yeah. I threw that out to somebody the other day who's younger than both of us, and they were like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, oh god, okay, I'm gonna go sh- jump off a cliff. Yeah. I mean, basically it was just wide open. You could kind of yeah. do whatever you want. Every you know, you was here's where the events were being held or whatever, or here's where people would hang out, but you could do whatever. And like you said, now it's become a little bit um a little bit tighter and i think that i i do think there's a changing of the guard here perhaps with the senior bowl in terms of its importance and i think this week was an example um of that did you find so again sort of to your point was did you was it as successful for you as as you were kind of hoping it would be whatever it was you were trying to accomplish not really i'll say for me it wasn't i'll be honest yeah i mean no it wasn't and there were i mean there were multiple factors at play here and i hate to ever be like i don't want to be like the whiny media person because you know it's it's access and it's a chance to watch these guys as they're coming up and there are certainly benefits of it um and at this point with you know layoffs across the board and so many outlets i'm always grateful that we get to go to these things um but compared to years past um yeah the the benefits aren't what they used to be um you know, there are way more restrictions on kind of where you can go in the stadium, which in turn limits who you can talk to. I mean, the media are pretty much, you know, cordoned off from, you know, the, the executives and coaches and scouts. Um, well, the, the, the way, talk- right, the way that it used to be in the original stadium that they'd used forever, everybody was on the same side of the field. Yeah. The, the teams, the media, anybody random. I mean, when Kyle yeah. Smith was running the front office, he was there. Um ran into some random players, even you know, Rivera when he was there the the first uh year, etc. And now when they switch they switch stadiums during the pandemic, it's a better stadium. It's not it wasn't built, I presume, in the nineteen thirties or whatever. No, I think <laughs> it was recently built. But like they don't even before you could you could in the old lad people stadium you'd be able to walk around the entire facility and you know talk to whoever you want sit where you ever you want um you know you could work in the press box now that the press box isn't even open to media it's open to you know some officials who are helping to run the game and some of their technology partners um and like half the stadium is for the teams the other half is for media um there's security everywhere you you, you know they're blocking people off so you can't go and then when you when you want to go on the field to talk to players you get all of 10 minutes i mean for me it takes me five minutes to figure out where everybody is and then by the time you do <laughs> and finally get somebody you have like two minutes to get in a full interview so it's not totally helpful and i get it they have a schedule they got to keep too but you know it, it does detract from the benefits of it for players and media you know this is this is for players this is a chance for for them to really get their real introduction to 
you know, the, the pre-draft circus. And, and this is an event that has helped so many players leap, you know, m- multiple rounds. And, and when they do that, that's money. That's, that's setting up their future. So this is, this is beneficial to everybody. Um, right. So, and, and this year it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. Um, it didn't feel like many teams sent full folks and that that's becoming more of the norm. I, not norm, but more and more teams are doing that. Like the Rams. I don't, I don't know if Dallas's folks ever made it out there. They had the issues with the ice storm. Right. But, and, and obviously people made a big fuss about uh, Rivera not being there. And then turns out he's out and, California and I didn't get that worked up over the fact that he wasn't there because a lot of like I said a lot of teams weren't there and to that point again just to be clear like this is not two reporters whining this is sort of trying to explain like what the event is and how it's evolving because the way it's worked in the past like people want to know well what are the commanders thinking about doing or what's this what is this person going up or down or any of that stuff well in order to do that in a real way you got to talk to people Right. And there weren't as many people around to talk to as there were normally. And then on top of it, as we're saying, the 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 team officials are largely kept away from us, penned off. Certain parts of the uh, event in the downtown area that were open before were closed off to not just us, to agents right. as well. A lot of these agents, let's be let's be honest, they don't want to go. They don't want to go. <laughs> they don't want to be in Mobile, Alabama, from wherever they're coming from for a few days. But they do it because they have clients. And then they don't even have much access to their own clients because of these restrictions. And this is all happening as the East-West Shrine game out in Vegas is now sort of part of Pro Bowl week. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a reimagined Pro Bowl. And there were clearly some people there that would have been normally in Mobile. And I just the point is, it's interesting to see how this is all going to unfold. And, you know, for the players, like, the, I know some pe- player, people say, oh, well, the media doesn't need to talk to anybody. Well, we do. And they it benefits everybody. And if we're all not there because if we decide it's not worth it for us and then they get less exposure, less attention, and it's all a big, it's all a big cycle. So I think we're in a very interesting moment here with these pre-draft uh, situations. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, next year. Right. No, definitely. I mean, there's not competition, especially with the NFLPA Bowl and, you know, other entities having their, you know, end of season all-star games for college prospects. Um and with more and more, I feel like we're inevitably going to see a lot more players just kind of sit these out. I mean, how many times have there been injuries at these things that derail the start to a player's career and ultimately, you know, maybe the trajectory of their career too. So, um, you know, there are ultimate benefits for everybody. There are also risks. And when you don't feel like you get the benefits, the full benefits, you know, sometimes that can, you know, turn you off to whatever risks there may be. So, it was it was interesting. It was definitely different. Um, and I think a part of that too is just the class they had in um, you know, it's such a talented draft class. Um, right. but not all the top players were there. And it and it always begins and ends with quarterback, you know. Had they had, you know, the the top quarterbacks in in the in the draft, then I think it would have been a lot different. You know, maybe not the access for us, um, but the interest certainly and you know, because there weren't those big name players, then it kind of detracted from it. Right. This was this was the un this was the it's about as unsexy of a group of players in mobiles you could have. Like, I mean, there may be there will be a couple of players who get picked in the first round, but nobody that's going, Wow, that guy is a player. It's like, okay, well, somebody's gonna have to go into top thirty two and they could be good or fine. 
including some guys that you know I would imagine Washington would consider, but at the same point, it was not uh, particularly uh, a dynamic class. I, I wrote the other day about um, Luke Musgrave, the tight end from Oregon State, who basically didn't play much of last year because of injury, but he's in the mix to be the number one tight end. And part of the reason I wrote about him beyond that Washington could use one is that there weren't a lot of other guys there. So when I wrote about a tight end, I had a lot of my comments were like, hey, what are you doing? Don't give Washington a tight end. I'm like, well, one, I don't necessarily agree. And two, who do you want me to write about? Right, right. They're just, you know, it's just the the nature of this class. Yeah. Um, can I? makes me feel old, though. Can, can I tell uh, as a as an indication? Yeah, I know. Well, you, you, you wait. Did you cover his dad as a coach or not as a player? Not as a player. Why well, it was his? It's his uncle. I mean, his I uncle. I mean, his yeah. uncle. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, just when you start to see multiple generations of families, you're like, oh wow, I've been doing this a long time. I'm getting old, but I'm calling him Mini Moose from now on. He doesn't know that, but I'm doing it anyway. Oh, okay. Well, then I, now I look forward to him coming here uh, and you doing this and. Yeah. No. They all right. Well, good. Uh, am I allowed to tell to, to as to emphasize though the how small it is? There's everything says within like a few blocks. Am I allowed to tell the Jack Del Rio uh, story from uh, from out there? Yeah, go for N- it. N- Nikki, forgetting that this is a, an audio scenario, and she's nodding at me. But okay, she <laughs> did say yes. Um. So, so as a as a quick backdrop, so the commanders because Rivera was not there. And they don't. They didn't make Martin Mayhew available. They did not send anybody down from their PR staff to, uh, you know, sort of uh, direct traffic, so to, so to speak. Um, there was because they had coaches in the game like Ryan Kerrigan and Jennifer King. There was some notion of hey, when they're when they're available, keep an eye on our camera guy, basically, or our audio guy. But other than that, you know, you're on your own. And somebody said, hey, uh, well, Del Rio is here. Can we get him? And uh, the response was basically, well, you know. He's he's a grown adult. You want to get him, you can ask, but you know, like we all kind of knew he's not gonna he's not gonna talk to us on the record. That that was pretty obvious. Anyway, w- the other component to this is right. One of the running jokes we all have within the media group is when somebody's like taking a call or why were you late or what were you doing. You make some comment about like, well, you know, I was talking to Dan on the other line, Dan or Tanya or whatever it might be, or or maybe it's a Jason or Ron bit, but somebody that we all know you're not actually talking to. And it's like the you know the boy that cries wolf kind of thing. It kind of we're making all jokes about it. My my track so far. Yes. So the Tuesday morning was effectively the first day. They had a very early. Uh, we had to pick up credentials at like seven a.m. and then there was like a little press conference after that. And then we had like two and a half hours or so to, to to kill before the practice. So you, me, and Sam and your colleague Sam Fortier were the only uh, reporters there. I guess David Harrison from the Locked On commander's podcast was there so we decided to go get breakfast like people do and we walk like four or five blocks to some random hole in the wall like there are no tables in this place it's just countertops everywhere so the three of us are sitting at a countertop facing out the window eating our eating our breakfast uh you have uh, big important plans so you you get you walk out to leave sam and i are sitting there and literally within five seconds jack del rio walked into the place and I being in, along with a couple other assistants, I being a nice person, text text my colleague and say, hey, by the way, Del Rio just walked in. And you were thinking, of course, bullshit. Get out of here. Ha ha. Super funny. Is that, is that, is that, am, I, am I right so far? Uh, you are accurate. Yes, yeah. you are. And uh, 
I'm like, no, I'm serious. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm like, look, I'll bet, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to convince? I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll swear on Lenny's head. Anybody knows if I'm doing that, it's got to be a real thing. Well, anyway, so Del, not only is Del Rio in the place, he's sitting, like, if I fell backwards in my chair, I would have hit him in the back. He, but he didn't see us because, you know, why is he thinking? Anyway, five minutes later, I don't know if you were out of breath. I'm going to, in my head, I'm going to say you were. Five minutes later, who comes striding back in? And you're like, oh my God, you weren't lying to me. Yeah. No, it was, yeah, I had to change my plans because it's like, there's so few opportunities just to see these people. And like, you never know if they're going to deal with you or whatever. And it's always that weird balance of, all right, I don't want to come off as TMZ-ish and stalking people. But, you know, when there's an opportunity to have a conversation, you want to take advantage of it. And so, yeah, I circled back. I On the way back, I rearranged my plans to set up an interview for the later date and then just sat there and then watched them walk out and be like, peace, we're gone. So I was like, cool, that was so worth it. Yeah, nothing <laughs> no, no, nothing necessarily happened, but just like it being, like, you know, we've all been around like famous people and you're like, oh, look at that. It's not like that, but it is like sort of like seeing, you know, somebody out in the wild and I mean, we did talk to him briefly like in a human way not in a you know you guys keeping Duran Payne kind of a way um but uh but yeah anyway that that's just how I did like some random place he just walked into that we were in and and that's how uh, that's how it goes um over there did you have any other uh takeaways from your time at at, at the senior bowl any uh, anything else sort of uh behind the scenes that you think people would be interested in i don't mean tell us your uh what's in your notebook i mean you know feel free but uh <laughs> uh not really i mean like with any league event there's always a scene in the evenings but i've never really enjoyed the scene in the evenings it's a let's go out at 10 o'clock if not later stand around in a bar where nobody can hear each other drink uh a lot of bad beer and wait for to see who shows up and if anybody will talk to us and most of the time if they do talk to us they're completely inebriated and it would it's you know nothing you can use on the record obviously so it's just like so many so many times I end up going back to my hotel and question my life choices like what what just happened what am I doing I need to get an adult job at some point yeah you're, and I've yet to do that. I've I've like passed that point where I could become qualified for such a thing anyway. So it's like I this is this is it. I will say, like, I went out to dinner twice with uh, my colleagues from the athletic. I I didn't pick the restaurant, you know. Again, there's not many places to go near the main part of this. Both times I went out at a table were picture all the national reporters, the national insider types that you're thinking about other than Schefter, and they were all sitting there together at a table, and all I wanted to have happen was Schefter to tweet out some news and watch everybody f get frantic about how they had to confirm something. That was that was my one hope. It did not come true, unfortunately. But um, but yes, they were they were uh, they, they were all out about eating food, just like you know they're just like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a weird scene. It's like. A it's such a small town. So you always see people walking on the streets and there's, you know, before there was really only one spot where people would go in the evenings. It's called beats. It's this little hole in the wall bar. It's kind of grimy and gross, but now there are more spots and, you know, 
everybody's just kind of making the rounds to all of them to see who they see and it's just it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So there's like three big events in the off season. Typically, like you'll be going to the Super Bowl, and I'm not counting that. But in terms of like the off season stuff, there's the Senior Bowl, the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, and the owners meeting, which is in general right. It's either somewhere like West Palm Beach, Florida, like it was last year, or where it is this year out in Arizona near Phoenix. Um, I think I know the answer, but the people may not. Of the th- rank, the three from your perspective as a reporter, like what you're looking to accomplish, or you can look at it from the perspective of where I want to just be for a few days. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always prefer owners meetings. The combine has become such a production. And I feel like it's a meat market anyway, especially with the addition of fans watching, you know, watching many of which are teenagers, essentially lift weights and do the bench press and do all these events. To me, it's, it's weird. Um, and it's become such a TV production now. I mean, the whole schedule has been flipped around to be geared toward the production of it. Um, so the, it's, it's become similar to the senior bowl in that, you know, there's, there are so many limitations on what you can do and what you can get and who you can talk to and when you can talk to them and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I really like the owner's meetings. For one, it's always at, it's always at a lavish resort, (laughs) so you can really go wrong there. Um, and it's much more casual. So, you know, owners, the coach, a few coaches that are there, executives, they're in a much more relaxed state. Many bring their families for like a mini vacation. Reporters there, it, it's open, you know. There's always that fine line. There's always going to be those reporters who, you know, cross that line and and don't give these guys a, the space that's warranted. Um, but the ones that play it right, you know, they, they're able to get, information and build relationships and see a lot of the reporters that you only see at, at these league events. Um, so I've always found those incredibly beneficial. And then there's some, there's some structured media availability at owners meetings too, with, you know, the breakfasts with, you know, all the, all the coaches. Um, and then you can usually teams will set up, you know, additional availability with their local media. So um, I've always found that to be incredibly beneficial and it usually i mean it, it's stuff that you can collect in it it's usable over the course of the entire off season um because there is so few times with availability so i i love owners meetings it's like a few days it's the right amount of time get a solid tan they have a good party too. well look i think i think a lot of us I, you were probably a smart one but i think a lot of us got a uh maybe not a tan but a bit of a sunburn the first day at the at the senior bowl because normally the temperature at least when i've gone has been dicey it is winter and it was like set high of 76 big sun and it was so hilarious that the next day literally everybody showed up with a with a sunburned face uh a pretty sam fortier definitely did and he was ordered to like put sunscreen on and refused so i don't feel bad sam fortier um I did as well. Like I got a solid cutout of the lanyard that holds the credential. Sure. Like I got like this line across like my neck down my chest. And it's like, it's, it's very attractive looking. Let me tell you. Well, like you said, everybody had something going on. One of my colleagues, only half of his side of his face got sunburned. So that's a whole nice. other level. Nice. Yeah. You got the Joker look. That's pretty solid. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good look. Um, yeah. All right. So as I said, we're not going to dive in too much here into the prospects themselves. We're, literally, we're talking the actual game is happening, I think, right now on TV. 
Um, but like I said, I did talk about this the other day with a uh, Nick Baumgartner, one of our draft analysts. So you can go check out that podcast. But I, I will do a couple of most likely questions here, this thus allowing us to talk about the draft and as well as the current team. Are you ready? Uh are you ready to accept this challenge? Um, sure. But I really wish now I had the cameras on. You could see the trepidation in her face when I just uh when I just asked this. I yeah. Let's I have no idea what's going on, but let's do it. Let's yeah. go for it. I'm ready. All right. What is more likely? Now, again, you were just at the senior bowl. You're, you're you're getting into the draft. What is more likely that Washington drafts a tight end in the first round or Logan Thomas returns? What is more uh, likely? They draft a tight end in the first round? I don't have a bell, but I would hit one to say I think I think that is that that is accurate. Now maybe that says more about Logan Thomas' situation, but I was getting into it with people about the idea of drafting a tight end in the first round, and a lot of people were saying that's uh, not 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 a wise idea. It's not a good value. Uh, you know, tight ends are not the most important positions, things like that. But I would my my counter is basically one. That's a that's a whole hypothetical. You know, it's just like when people would say, well, you shouldn't draft a guard top 10 and maybe that's fair hypothetically but it's not like brandon sheriff wasn't good or quentin nelson isn't good um it's if the individual player makes sense then you should look at it and there's like four tight ends in this class that are considered to be like worthy of the first i mentioned luke musgrave he was the one of the four there michael meyer from notre dame is sort of the other name a lot of people have heard of so i don't really have an issue with it and if you have a tight end it's a huge Difference. There's only so many of those guys that go around wide receivers. You can kind of find a lot of places. So I'm fine if they do, if they ended up doing that, other people are not. Are you kosher if they actually do? I mean, again, it's all relative to whether the player is worth it. I'm not saying overdraft. I'm not saying you have to take one. I'm saying hypothetically, if the player, if the value is there, do would you do that? Yeah. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of, you know, using first round money on a tight end. Um, I just don't think the value is there for that position. Um, and yeah, Washington, their tight ends were not terribly productive last season, to put it politely, but they also didn't go to their tight ends. You know, what's the point of having tight ends if you don't use them? Um, and there's no guarantee that that will change. So, you know, I that's given their needs, especially up front, that is not the position I'd would love for them to spend on um especially given the record of developing a lot of guys who were brand new to the position and and turned into pretty good players um looking back last year um they had a pretty solid group um so i think there's other ways to get talent at that position i just don't you know first round money is a lot of money i think people forget that that is a lot of money and it's a fully guaranteed four-year contract um so yeah, I I would like them to spend elsewhere if they're going to go in the first round. Like to me, like offensive line certainly, which I know is not a sexy pick, but if you look at the teams that are in the Super Bowl this year and are regularly in the Super Bowl, they typically have these homegrown offensive lines that are, you know, monstrous. I mean, look at the Eagles right now. I mean, that line is is one of the best of all time in my opinion, and there's a reason they're winning and a lot of it is due to that offensive line as well as other positions they're stacked but it's such an important 
that front five is just so important. And I, you know, I think the good teams realize that and learn to invest in it. And the ones that don't, the ones that think they could get by with cheaper talent, like Washington did this past season, end up paying for it, like Washington did this past season. Right. I mean, the, I wouldn't like, yeah, like for me, it's not an either or. Obviously, all things be equal, I'm taking the offensive line. But like, even in terms of this past year, right? When Logan Thomas was in there as in, as the one tight end, his blocking, let's just say, wasn't ideal. You probably had a better sense of what that they were going to throw the ball or, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah throw, yeah, throw the ball. But even if they didn't and he stayed in the block, it wasn't really going to help your cause. And we know the line struggled. If you don't have a tight end that can kind of do block and pass, it makes it a little bit easier for the defense to probably guess what you're doing. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think the guys who, and again, maybe none of these draft picks are worthy of or are two-way threats in that difference-making kind of a way. But I do think there is value in that. And also like offensive linemen, there's just more of them in theory that you yeah. can find that can start. You know, the right is the argument everybody says is don't draft the guard in the first round or two. Um can I can I can I give you this though? Hypoth- yeah. just uh I'm looking at the draft for the last few years. Okay, 2018, the the last time you you famously a- attended. Here were the tight ends picked in the first couple of rounds. Hayden Hurst, Mike Gasecki, Dallas Goddard. No busts in there. The Dolphins just don't know how to use Gasecki, but all three of those guys have been pretty good. Yeah. Um the highest one was taken. What's that? What's the highest one of those was taken? Uh, Hurst was a first, but I feel like he was like later in the first. Yeah. Uh, I, I moved off of that screen. Hold on one second. All right. The the following year. Boy, this is great. This is a great podcast. And the following year, TJ Hawkinson, eight. Noah Fant, 20. Irv Smith, 50. And then Drew Sample. I don't know that he's done that much. Not, I mean, Hawkinson's obviously pretty good, but and Fant yeah, or Smith, are the, fun. yeah, they're fine. And that's a, that's a Fant has built has framed a lot of my thinking on this, and I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be, oh my god, she's talking about Denver again, but like it made no sense for them to t- take a tight end there, and they did it anyway, right? Well, I mean, you know, and like they like, just didn't turn out. It's no disrespect to Noah Fant, it's just he, there was it's so challenging for a player at that position to live up to that draft billing. Because the player is so reliant on the quarterback play. A hundred percent. I mean, but at least to a degree, right? He is a viable player. Like, I'm not saying everything is equates to fantasy football, but like he was a guy you could use this year. Sure. Fantasy you you didn't to. need to draft him in, at that spot in the first round. Oh, no, no, for sure. Kyle um, Pitts is one where I was like, yeah, he absolutely deserves to be a top five pick. You know, I mean, the only, the only ones over the last year, I'm looking at it now. Cole commit Cole commit in 2020, not amazing, but he was the only tight end picked in the first two rounds. And he's been, uh, he's been pretty good. I, 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 I feel free to fire off whatever names have come up the last two years, but, and obviously 2022 will, you know, we'll just have to wait and see to a degree, but I'm just saying like by and large, the, the there's not a ton of them that are getting picked, which should, which yeah. talks to scarcity. And two, they at least are viable players. It's sort of like Jamin Davis, at least this year, looks like he'll be a viable player. Will he ultimately have been worth the 19th pick? Well, we'll see, no. but that's, that's you can't always predict that, but can they at least play? Uh, right, know. but that's not what you're looking for with the first round pick. You're looking for an immediate starter who is a value add in every respect. I mean, over the last, since the turn of the century, since 2020, or 2000, sorry, um, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tight ends have been taken above 16, 16 or higher in the draft. Kyle Pitts, yes. Kellen Winslow, Vernon Davis, obviously. Hawkinson, Eric Ebron, Bubba Franks, Jeremy Shockey. Like, there's a reason that you got to be like a freaking unicorn to be a tight end taken that high. And rightfully so. I mean, the problem is that the free agent market for tight ends has just become so insane. I mean, it's just, so you, you got to like, in my opinion, that's a position you take on day two and you really hope you can develop a kid. Like you have that incredible stat about Cole Turner. Please share that. Uh, was that the stat that Cole Turner with, he had finished here with two catches, which meant he had one less touch. Than, Re- than Reggie Bonifan did this year, who was only signed to the active roster in the last game. Yes, that is the one. Right. Well, and and so that and and that is sort of the chicken and the egg of this whole tight end thing. It's again, I'm not advocating picking somebody in the first round. I am advocating though. You've got to find a, be- a way to maximize that position. Like hypothetically, if you turned Curtis Samuel into a tight end equivalent and then had to use Deami Brown or Cam Sims more. I think they'd be fine. But the, last year, they didn't get anything out of the tight end group. They, they were 28th in catches. Now, they may look at it, and I think they might, that Armani Rogers and Cole Turner, there's two lottery tickets there. Both of them, I think, actually held up pretty well as blockers last year, but they just didn't get yeah. thrown the ball a ton for a variety of reasons. If they think one of those guys can develop, cool, then don't draft one. But I don't, I'm just saying I don't have an issue if they actually decided – whether it's uh, Musgrave or Michael Meyer or one of these other guys um, that are up there that they think, hey, they can do it. I won't have an issue with it. Again, they have to get offensive linemen and cornerback somewhere, but just yeah. saying, I won't, I won't freak out. Okay, but to the other point of this question that I asked you an hour ago, uh, Logan Thomas, I think we're both kind of thinking, doesn't feel like he's going to be back. He's got the, he's got a one wasn't terribly productive last year. Two, he's you know getting up there in age, and three, you know the cat, you know the the salary cap situation. You can get some cap savings um, on that. Let me. Uh, do you have that handy? If not, I'll, I've got it here somewhere. Yeah. Uh, pull it up. So he's got a cap hit of eight point six million, dead cap three million. So you would save a little over five million by moving on from him. And you know, I, you know, does John Bates, Cole Turner, Monty Rogers, and mystery tight end do enough for me? Well, maybe. But at least there's some upside there. There's youth. And, yeah, it kind of feels like, to me, that that would be a guy who um, could be gone. And to me, that's almost more of the point of the question than whether you would draft one at 16. Yeah. No, I mean, he he looked really promising in in 2020. Um, And this is no fault to him, but he he hasn't been able to stay healthy, hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently, and that's hurt a lot of it. you know, the rotation of quarterbacks, again, does not help the tight ends. It doesn't help anybody. Um, but that's also part of it. He's going to be, what, 32? Or is he already 32? Um, so, yeah, a lot of, yeah, he'll be 32. He's 31 quarter currently. Um, so, yeah, a lot of competing factors there. But he was very good for that room. And had he had, you know, back-to-back productive seasons, I think it would have been a different story, but he's got no guaranteed money left on his deal. So it's, it's kind of an easy out for the team at this point. Right. Um, I mean, you could always obviously renegotiate a deal, you know, lower the cap hit this year, add on another year, but you know, I, it doesn't, I don't know. There, you know, look, the coming up right off the, the ACL is a tough, can be tough. And sometimes it is the next year 
when the player looks closer to their form, that's going to be a question they're going to have to get. It's been, you know, 2020 was really good since then. Injuries and other factors, have just, it, it hasn't looked the same. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this offensive coordinator. They're still looking for one. What? I know. Seriously? I know. I know. Wow. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I, the whole process has been kind of weird. Here's it. The thing is, and I, I think this is reasonable to believe from the outset, and I'm sure they're aware of it, obviously, but, you know, the, the uncertainty with the ownership situation plays into it quite a bit. You know, this could be viewed from the outside as sort of a lame duck position. So you're not going to get, you know, the some of the top candidates that, whose names are circulating around for for other jobs. Um you know, this is if, if they view this as sort of a one year rental type job, you know, if they have options, you know, Washington's probably going to be at the bottom of them. So um, and a lot of people they've interviewed don't their names haven't come up uh, as ones that have had a ton of options. Um, the one who has is Eric Bieniemy, and that's seemingly with a hold of his at this point since he's in the Super Bowl um, and they can't talk to him till after. But, you know, it, it's, it's, they're in kind of a weird place. And I think a lot of the people who have been interviewed are kind of like, what's, what's going on here? Right. Um, well, the enemy, the enemy thing is weird in the sense that, like, I just saw, I think it was today, I saw that the Eagles offensive coordinator is interviewing a second time with somebody right. do, and they're right. also in the game. And yet for Bianami, it's, it's, they're waiting and it's going to wait until after right. the Super Bowl. And also they don't seem, I'm not saying they're not doing stuff, but they don't seem that pressed. They haven't even had a second interview, as far as we know, with anybody. The Ravens, who were a week behind because they were actually in the playoffs, they've already interviewed some people multiple right. times. They're also supposedly in the enemy market. Um, but anyway, here's the question, ultimately. More likely, offensive coordinator. Ken Zampezi, the in-house guy, he's the, the quarterback coach, has been interviewed, or the field, meaning anybody else outside the, the the obvious thing would be well, there's more people on the outside to so take them, but Zampezi's there. He worked with Sam yeah. Hal already, and as we're talking about options, you know, I don't know who knows who would be willing to ultimately accept this. So Ken Zampezi versus the field, who outside the the building, who would, what would you take? Um, I could totally see it being Zampezi. You know, again, given the ownership uncertainty. You know, go with the familiar familiar name, the guy that knows the system, knows the quarterbacks. Um, I could totally see him doing that. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they go the Pat Shermer route. Um, would not be my first choice, <laughs> but it is not my team to run. So, I mean, we we know Ron liked him in 2013, tried to hire him then with the Panthers. Um, I could totally see them going down that route. Um, I yeah I. None of these options really move the needle. Let's be honest. Um, right. The the, the I, ones I, that you, you could like, you know, get get a, a little more excited about are the guys who have never done it before. The Charles right. Londons, uh, Eric right. Studesville, uh, Thomas Brown. I, I think when I think and I think any of those could be really interesting. I think Anthony Lynn, I think, is that honestly a good candidate. Um, he's run his team before. Um, well liked by players. A good coach. Uh, to me, he would be really intriguing. Why he would want to leave the his you know set up with San Fran a very good team um for this I don't know unless he uses it as a launching pad to get back into head coaching 
Um, I I don't know, and I think you know I think the, the holdup with the enemy is B en- This is a preference of the enemy, not so much the team. You know, the enemy is trying to see about the Colts job. So again, this is Washington is clearly not a first choice for him. Um, Spo- spoiler: I don't think he's getting the Colts job. Right, but you know, the Colts meaning Ravens, a head co- a Washington head coaching may, job. maybe like three four on the list. You know, right. So, yeah, um, I, I I would probably in the hypothetical I just gave, I would probably say Zampezi as well because it's the sort of the safest route, and it feels like that's ultimately kind of where they're gonna, uh, yeah, where where they're headed. Um, all right, I got a a, a semi silly one for you. Okay, Super Bowl is coming up. You'll be at the game, but I, I you know, knowing you, you'll probably find a way to listen to the game. Um, as well, as opposed to just watching it. So, in terms of the broadcast, Taylor Heineke, is it more likely that he is mentioned by name during the Super Bowl as the only starting quarterback this year to beat a Jalen Hurts Eagles team, or he returns to Washington in 2023? Uh, mentioned. Mentioned. So is, is that your, <laughs> is that your way of saying, Taylor? It's been it's been a good ride. We enjoyed the t te- the the the, uh, the t shirts and the shoe buying and the and the diving and all that. But you're playing somewhere else next year. Well, I think it's the team would like him back. I think it's a question of whether he would want to be back. And I, you know, don't get this twisted, but like, you know, he helped them to the playoffs, and then they ultimately benched him when it mattered most. So if you're a player in that position, how would you feel about like, and I don't want to speak for him. I haven't talked to him about this, but like, that's kind of what that would be my thinking. And he's, he's got a winning record as a quarterback. So he should have options, be it as a backup or someone competing for a starting job um, where I don't know exactly, but I could totally see him wanting to test the waters and, and see what's available to him. Um, before you know, fully committed here. He said he likes it here, loves the players. Uh, obviously familiar with the staff. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I would think he would want to kind of explore his options, um, on the open market. But I mean, yeah. it, it would to me if I were a coach, it would totally make sense to bring him back because he's well liked. He's great in the locker room. He's, you know, if he's going to be the backup to Sam Howell, that he's going to do whatever he can to to help the kid. He can step in and win a game. He's everything you want in a backup quarterback. But it may be a preference of his to see what else is out there and and see you know if he can get a bigger role elsewhere. Yeah, I would just say that that to me would come down to: Do they really, 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 really believe that Sam Howell's starting for them? I still maintain that 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 whole spiel, what they're telling the coordinators, is as yeah. much to change the narrative around here. So we stop talking about Carson Wentz and start talking about the future. And Sam Howell's interesting. So I don't know if I'm still buying. Well, it's more he's the only one under contract for next season. <laughs> like, of course he's going to be the. Of course, for right now he's a starter because he's the only one that will be under contract as of what March seventh sure. or whatever. <laughs> well, but like last year, like Heineke was still under contract, and they were making it pretty clear they were bringing in anybody else but him. And I'm saying like if they don't view Taylor as a potential starter, which I think clearly they don't. Then you're yes. really saying we're buying Sam Howe as getting us through this, and you know they don't want right. to have to rely on Heineke other than like injury or, who, or whoever um, whoever that would be. Right. Um. All right. Uh. Another another more likely one for you. Starting right tackle week one. 
Sam Cosme or a t- or a tackle they picked in the first round? Um, I don't know about first round. It could I would just say tackle not currently on the roster. Yeah, I think they're moving him to guard. Yeah, I think so too. Are you, are you, are you, are you accepting of that? Because I don't think I'm he accepting. is. I don't think he is, but uh he may not have a choice. True. <laughs> true. He may not have a uh he may not have a choice. Um I, I've been coming up with these like is that brain of yours, I'm sure, is coming up with something. Do, do, do you have do you have your own version of this kind of a kind of a question, even if it isn't necessarily um, directly about the commanders? Will Cole Holcomb be on this team, yes or no? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes, but like on a one year deal or something. Okay. I could see that. Just given their dearth of linebackers. And also like I don't know what like he you know, he obviously missed, you know, basically half the year because of the injury. So I don't know what his market right. will be. Right. And then maybe be able to give him like enough to make it worthwhile for one year and then everybody reassesses where they are after the year. Yeah. How old is he? Should know this. Uh looking it up. I mean like twenty six? Oh, he's young. Yeah, he's young. Yeah, so twenty seven. Yeah, he'd still be young enough to Um more likely to sign an extension, Duran Payne or Cam Curl? Cam Curl. Because you think uh, they recognize that he's really valuable, even if the head coach doesn't want us mentioning that publicly, or because Deron Payne, for all the reasons we've all discussed for months, is not likely back. Both. (laughs) C, all of the above. (laughs) I mean, I, I, Cam Curl is incredibly important to the defense. Because of all that he does. And that's not to say that Deron Payne isn't. I think he's very, very important. I think the interior of that defensive line is the crux of the defensive line. If there's one player I would say is not worth keeping, it would be Chase Young. Hot take. Um, but I don't foresee that happening since they picked him at number two overall. Um, and there's only so much money you can allocate to one positional group. So are you going to pay all four of them? If you're keeping Duran, you're not keeping Montez. Montez, I think, is this, you know, incredibly valuable i think he's their best defensive end no doubt um so you know it becomes a numbers issue but also does deron Payne want to stay here he will have options i mean he will get paid some way somehow this season it could be on the tag and then he's up again next year he's young enough to where he can make a good chunk of change no matter the circumstances if i were him obviously and this is probably the case for any player they would rather get you know a longer term deal now since they just played the best season of their life, get the security and then move forward. But, you know, he's young enough to where he could get a tag and then still get a long-term deal if he has a, a decent season. Uh, she is uh, Nikki Jabala with the Washington Post, always a person up for the, uh, for the franchise tag because of her value in the open market. So, you know, you got to, Got to, got to figure out how to lock I hate, her in. I hate the tag. I hate the tag. I think it's the dumbest rule ever. It's the Elway rule. I think it's the dumbest thing ever. It, it and do- it doesn't really help. It doesn't really help teams keep their own guys. It helps teams piss off their own guys for a year, end up spending way too much money because they're guaranteed as soon as you 
sign them. When's the last time that anybody used a transition tag? That is still a thing. That's a great question. I don't, yeah, I don't remember the last Like, I don't know why that's not, like, a thing anymore. I. What would be the value of the transition tag this year for Duran? It's, like, a few million less, right? Right. I mean, I don't think, yeah. I I mean, I I don't think it's so much works for him in general, but just the idea of, like, it never, it never, it never really works. Um, I'll say Cam Curl as well, just because, uh. It's just harder to see how how they're going to keep Duran, but I can see the tag. Like the, the tag is not an extension. I'm not counting that. Like an right. actual, you know, multi year right, extension. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I gotta re. I gotta re- release you back into the wild. Uh, at Nikki Jabvala on Twitter. Anything else that people need to know about your whereabouts, your stories, your hopes, your dreams, anything else you'd like to uh, share with the people? Um, I'm really hoping for a long walk with the dogs this afternoon but it could be too cold my whereabouts i'll be in phoenix next week as you mentioned for the super bowl um if people see really you hoping for warm weather there too that would be obviously that would be uh, great if people see but you I'll... out and about do you prefer that they just sort of keep their distance or are you okay with like hey i mean that's that's a, that's a personal risk that they have to assess you know do they want to mingle with me or stay far far away now um no, come say hi. It'll be great. We'll party in Phoenix. It'll be awesome. I don't believe anything she just said, but she she said it. <laughs> so the, mainly the party part because I'm like old. <laughs> right, right. Mostly that. Uh, always appreciate it, Nikki. Appreciate the time and uh, good luck in uh, in Phoenix. Thanks. This was fun.